Morning. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. I, Memorial Day is one of my favorite holidays. Sounds, I don't know if that's a good thing to say or a bad thing to say. But uh, this year is just really special for me because uh, all my kids are home. And I'm especially excited because my son Kyle's home from his first deployment with the Army. Really proud of him. Uh, um, and I have the day off tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've always heard that, uh, I actually read this, that, you know, all of us are all excited because we get tomorrow off, but except for people who work in the hospital emergency room. Apparently, the emergency room is terrible on Memorial Day. It's one of the worst days of the year. I think it has to do, it has to do with a lot of car accidents and a lot of bad potato salad. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. Um, I was reading something about Memorial Day, and those of you who put up flags on Memorial Day, put them out, there are certain rules, did you know this, to putting up flags on Memorial Day. You're supposed to fly it at half-mast until noon, and then afternoon, you can pull it up to full-mast. I didn't know that. And there was also a law made in the year 2000. Congress passed a law that all Americans on Memorial Day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon are supposed to stop for a moment of silence. I didn't know that. That's a law. <laughs> so watch out. So stop cooking your hot dogs at 3 o'clock. All right. So we're talking about the book of Acts, right? So um, we're now in Acts chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, you might want to turn there. Um, last week, we kind of did, we're kind of doing this in reverse. Um, we're doing the second half, we're doing the first half of Acts chapter 8 today. We did the second half yesterday. Um, uh, we talked about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch last week, and today we're going to talk a little bit more about Philip and the ministry that he had there. Um, but if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 1. This is kind of an a intro to what I'm going to talk about today. Um, so Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Okay, so in Acts chapter 7, that's when Stephen was killed. That's when Stephen was martyred. And following that point, this caused a great diaspora, a great spreading of the believers who were in Jerusalem. They all split. They all took off. And they went in different directions. Now, that sounds like a bad thing. But we're going to see that actually that was the start of what Jesus had promised would happen way back in Acts chapter 1. He said, you're going to take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the utter ends of the earth. So this, this horrible thing that happened, Stephen's death, was the impetus to start out. This is, this is the first step of the fulfillment of what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. Um, the Spirit began speaking extending the church beyond previous boundaries. You know, we talked about this before, how, you know, if you look at your Bible and you look at the title of the book of Acts, it says the Acts of the Apostles. I really challenge the name of that book. It really should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because if you read the rest of the book, you see 
that it was the Holy Spirit that was doing all this stuff, and the apostles spent all their time trying to play catch-up. They, they were just trying to keep up with what the Holy Spirit was doing. Um, so, what Philip did is he moved into Samaria, okay? Now, what's the deal with this whole Samaria thing? You know, we've all heard about Samaria. We've heard about the Samaritans, right? We've heard, uh, you know, back, back in the Gospels, Jesus sat down next to a Samaritan woman at the well, and that was considered this big shocking thing. Um, and then he told the parable of the good Samaritan. So what's the deal with Samaria and the Samaritans? So I, I just want to back up and kind of talk about the Samaritans for just a second. So if you, if you remember your biblical history, you remember that um, Israel was under the control of David. It was a big kingdom under David and then his son Solomon. But after Solomon's death, the kingdom kind of divided in half. It divided into the northern kingdom, which followed after this upstart king named Jeroboam, and the southern kingdom, which followed after one of Solomon's son named Rehoboam. And it was like that. It was a split kingdom for hundreds of years until the year 722 B.C., when that's, that's when the Assyrians came down and they took over all of that northern kingdom of Israel and they deported all the Israelites out of there, made them their slaves, and they were, they were intermingled with the Assyrians for hundreds of years. And during that time, they intermarried with the Assyrians, they had babies with the Assyrians, they, they the the Israelite community kind of lost its uniqueness. And that was the problem, right? Because the, the people down in Judea, in Judah, in the southern kingdom, kind of maintained their purity, their purity until uh, the Babylonian captivity, which was much later, okay? And the, they were only in captivity for about 70 years. So they didn't have a lot of time to intermingle with the Babylonians at that time. So there was this animosity between those half-breed Samaritans that live in the north and us purebred Jews who lived in the south. And so that kind of gives you an idea of uh, what that animosity was. The, actually, the Jews were from, some of the first racists <laughs> that you read about um, because they didn't like... Uh, what was going on with the Samaritans. Now, Philip boldly preached the gospel to the Samaritans, and he had a lot of success. And uh, we're going to look at that. And what I'd like to do is just read through this text, okay? So I'm going to start at uh, verse 9, okay? And you just read this, through this with me. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. 
When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given with the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said will happen to me. And after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan cities. So sorry, that's kind of a long section, but I figured we'd just read through it. You know, this is, this is a really interesting section of the book of Acts, and we're going to talk about a couple things that happen here. It's really controversial, and I'm warning you, this is a very controversial part of Scripture. And I know some people are going to go come up to me afterwards and ask me questions about it, but that's cool. This was the first step recorded in the Bible of the gospel leaving Judea and going to a group of people who were kind of outside the normal group that, that were, uh, had a relationship with God. At, at this point, we're going to see that God is going to start blowing the mind of the apostles and the Jewish church. And we're going to see this repeated multiple times throughout the book of Acts in the, in the next coming weeks. We're going to find that the Jews no longer hold the patent on a relationship with God anymore. And I, I think it's really funny that the first people that the Holy Spirit sends uh, the gospel out to are the Samaritans, the people who are, the, who are really hated by the Jews. Um, and that just tells me that it's the Holy Spirit's sovereign work that he was doing. And, um, and then the apostles, like I said, ended up having to play catch-up. And, you know, I, I mentioned racism before, how the, how the Jews uh, were the original supremacists that we see in the Scripture. And I think there's a lesson here, and it's a lesson that we have to learn clearly. And that is that there is no room for racism in the church of Jesus Christ. We see that in the book of Acts here over and over and over again. There is no room for racism in the church of Jesus Christ because the gospel goes to everybody. Okay? Uh, now, there's kind of two things I want to talk about here. Okay? There's kind of two sermons here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the full 40 minutes and then another 40 minutes to get through. <laughs> okay. What, no, the first one has to do with how, how did Simon respond to the Holy Spirit? And the other is, how did the Samaritans respond to the Holy Spirit? Okay? 
Luke tells us the story about Simon, and I believe the reason he tells us the story about Simon is to give us a warning. And he tells us the story about the Samaritans in order to give us an invitation. So the first half is a warning to us. The second half is an invitation. So first, I'm going to talk about Simon. And I was trying to think of what's the best way to explain what Simon's problem was. And I was doing a lot of research on this, and I have to give credit to John Piper, if you've read any of his books, um, because he had an extra, excellent illustration of what the problem was here. He talks about, uh, have any of you ever held like a one-year-old toddler on your lap? And you're, you're sitting by the window, and you have this one-year-old toddler on your lap, and you're looking out the window, and you see a pretty bird perched on the, on the tree. And you go, oh, look, look at the pretty bird. What does the toddler do? Does he look at the pretty bird? <laughs> no, he's looking at your finger. You know, they go, you know, you're going, look, look, look at the pretty bird. And the toddler's going, yeah, yeah, And the more excited you get about it, look, 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 look at the pretty bird. The, the toddler looks more and more at your finger. He gets more excited, and he does the finger thing too, you know? <laughs> They, but he never sees the bird that you're pointing at. That was the problem with Simon, okay? He, thought, he, he, he saw these miraculous signs that uh, Philip was doing. They were better than his magical signs. He got excited about them. He ended up following Philip all around and tried to imitate him. But he never saw the bird outside the window. He never saw the ugliness of his own sin. He never saw his need for repentance. And he never saw the glory of Christ who forgives and makes us clean. Okay, and let me go into that a little more detail now. Um, so I'm going to talk about four, four problems that Simon had. And this first one is, I call it Simon's non-saving faith. Okay, uh, It says that Peter... You see, Peter seems to indicate that Simon was not truly converted. His heart wasn't right before God, and he still needed to repent. Let me just, uh, let's just look at that verse again. It said, Peter answered, may your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness. And pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. And I think what's indicated here is that there is a faith, that there is a believing. You notice I'm using the rabbit ears. There is a faith and there is a believing that doesn't save. Even though it might arise out of, a, out of true teaching and out of true miracles that occurred. Now, verse, verse 13 said that Simon believed and was baptized. But then when Peter came along, it said, Peter starts saying these nasty things about him, okay? Um, now, so I take it to mean that he wasn't truly uh, converted and his heart wasn't right before God. And this kind of jives with some ancient church writings that we see. Justin Martyr and Justinian wrote that um, this Simon 
was actually one of the founders of the Gnostic movement in the, in the early church. I don't, know, I don't know how true that is, but I, I find that interesting. So the Gnostic teaching is kind of a heretical teaching. So that would indicate that he never really was a believer. Now, before you say, wait a second, wait a second here, this is one verse. Let me, let me point to you some other, some other verses in the scriptures that kind of point to that, okay? Um, one is this one. It's from John chapter 2. Um, this is Jesus. He was, in, he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival. Many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not trust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind because he knew what was in each person. So all these people are following Jesus. They're listening to his teaching, good teaching. They're, they're seeing the miracles that he performs. Sound, sound like a familiar scenario? Same kind of thing. And yet Jesus knew their hearts. And he knew that their faith wasn't genuine and because he could see into their hearts and he knew that their faith wasn't genuine. It's almost a parallel thing that happened in Samaria. Here's another one. Do you remember the parable of the, uh, the sower and the seeds? And some of the seeds lands on good ground, some lands among the weeds. Uh, what about those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the work with joy, but when they hear it, they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing... They fall away. So th there's, there's all sorts of um, scriptural uh, hints that we can uh, sometimes have a faith, but it might not be a saving faith. Or unless you stay with it, you have a tendency. Uh, the other part of that uh, parable is when the uh, thorns grow up and they choke out um, your faith. Um, another part of scripture says, Lord, did we not do miracles in your name? And Jesus said, I never knew you. So I, I think these are good parallels to what, ha what happened with, with Simon. The other problem with Simon is, what is the object of Simon's faith? Simon was a sorcerer. He's a pretty good sorcerer. He'd been sorcering for many years in Samaria. He was the David Blaine of Samaria. <laughs> you ever watch David Blaine? I'm just like, what? How did he do that? But, but yeah, he amazed people with, with his tricks, okay? He had been dealing with supernatural power long before he ever heard of Philip, long before he ever heard of Jesus Christ. So here comes Philip, and he not only preached about Jesus, but he performed miraculous signs uh, healing people, casting out demons. And Simon saw that the power that Philip was dealing with was much stronger than his own. It, and even more amazing than that is if you read the text, it's not just the works that Philip was doing, but when Peter and John came down, they laid hands on the believers and something happened. I don't know what happened. The scripture doesn't say what happened, but it was so utterly amazing that Simon goes, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able, so when I lay hands on people, that same thing happens. I, I don't know what happened, 
but it was utterly amazing, okay? Philip had stretched out the finger of signs and wonders to point to Jesus, but Simon fixated on the finger, okay? He wanted to be able to point like that. He would pay money to be able to point like that, but he never turned his head to look out the window, right? So Simon, yeah, Simon was looking to the power of the miracles, not to, the not to Jesus Christ and the glory of his grace. Another thing was, if you read the scripture again, you'll see that the word amazed is used several times in the context. Simon amazed Samaria with his magic originally. Then Philip amazed Simon with the power of God. There's a lot of amazing things going on here. But the amazement does not lead to saving faith. Okay? Signs and wonders that occurred here are just that finger pointing to Jesus. Amazement at supernatural power is not saving faith. What Simon need was, needed was heartfelt repentance and turning to Jesus with a broken spirit. And finally, the last, the last thing that I noticed about Simon was just that he had a sinful heart. Peter told him that his heart wasn't right before God. Uh, he willfully suppressed the knowledge of the true God and deep inside really wanted to keep being the cool guy he was. Simon wanted to continue to amaze. He wanted to continue to have the power. He still continued to want it to be the center of attention, which he had been for so long. The great thing about the book of Acts, if you, if you read it, is that nothing has really changed. You, you read the book, and you, and you realize that the church back then has a lot of similarities with the church today. The world back then has a lot of similarities with the world today. There was, there was a lot of uh, occult. Uh, there, there was a lot of uh, you know, different religions and you go, wow, that's, that's a lot like the world is today. So I believe that Philip, if he was, came into the world today, if he came to Hilliard, Ohio, he would preach the same way he preached, and he would do the same miracles that he did back then. So the warning is to us is are we looking at the finger rather than looking at what God's pointing at? And you think about that. We, there's a lot of opportunities to look at the finger. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I heard that... I wasn't here a couple of weeks ago when uh, the youth band led worship. I heard they did a great job. Um, and I had a couple of people come up to me afterwards. Oh, you should have been there. The youth band was great. They were great. I can't believe how much they must have practiced for that and everything. Yeah, I think this is a problem for all, you know, even this band up here today is, I think if you were to ask each person in the youth band, you know, why did you do that? Why did you get up there and lead worship like that? They, would, they wouldn't say, well, because we're good, because I wanted to get the attention. You know, they would say, we really wanted to point people to Jesus. We really wanted to make them focus on worshiping Jesus. You know, and it's, it's a real danger that we have that we kind of go, oh, this, was, this is a great pastor. We have a great pastor. 
Oh, I read this book. This author's fantastic. I'm going to read all his books. He just has a way of speaking. Oh, that band. I love that band. They're terrific. And we're always in this danger of looking at the finger rather than what those people are trying to point us to. And, and it's a real danger. What are, what are some other ways that we're like Simon? I know, I know I was thinking about this for myself, and it's like, do you ever, do you ever want the attention? You know, yeah, I, sometimes I want the attention rather than the commitment. We, we want people to look at us to give us the attention. We want to be in the limelight, right? And do you ever get jealous when other believers are in the limelight and you're not? Do you ever go, oh, I know I do. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of the same things. So this is the warning that Luke is making toward us uh, with Simon. All right, so I didn't take the full 40 minutes for that, so I'll move into the second part. The second part is, what does it mean to receive the Holy Spirit? All right, we're going to get controversial here. So the scripture says, this is when Peter and John went down to Samaria. So I, I can just picture what happened. Peter and John and the rest of the apostles are in Jerusalem, and they're doing their work in Jerusalem, and they hear through the grapevine that Philip went up to Samaria, and people are coming to the Lord, and people are, are uh, uh, getting baptized up there. And they're probably like, what? What? What's up with that? So they decide to go check it out themselves. So they go up there, and when they arrived, they find that it's true. This is blowing their minds. They prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, this this is a really confusing scripture because it kind of contradicts some of the other uh, accounts that we see in the book of Acts. In one account, uh, the Holy Spirit comes on the new believers right away when they receive Christ. They pray to receive Christ, bang, the Spirit comes on them, they start speaking in tongues and miracles and all this stuff. Okay? But here, we see that it seems like the Holy Spirit was delayed didn't, didn't come on the new believers when they first became Christians. It was kind of delayed. We're, we're going to see in a couple weeks an even different scenario. We're going to see in a couple weeks that, you know, they were just talking about the gospel. They were just talking about the gospel, and wang, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They hadn't even made any decisions yet. So if you look at the book of Acts, it's really kind of confusing as to what's the rule here, God? How is the Holy Spirit supposed to come on us? Is there, is there a specific way that it's supposed to work? And the, the problem is, we don't really know the answer to that question. This, the scripture doesn't give an answer to that question. And the church today has entire denominations that are built on these distinctives. But if, but if you look at the scripture, it's not really clear. But I think, personally, what happened here in Samaria was, was kind of a special event. The people received Christ. They were baptized. It was a true conversion. 
But the Spirit didn't come on them until Peter and John came, until the Jewish believers came to, the, to Samaria. They saw what was going on there, and they said, okay, let's lay our hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So what the Holy Spirit was doing here, he was kind of signaling a new oneness uh, between the Jewish and the Samaritan church, in spite of age-old hostilities that had been going on for hundreds of years. That's my theory. You can take it or leave it. Okay? Now, we don't know from the scriptures too much about the timing here, but there are some things that we do know about the coming of the Holy Spirit that, that is portrayed in the book of Acts. Here it is. Number one, the re- Every time you read about the coming of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, it's an amazing experience. Uh, It was so amazing that, like I said, Simon wanted to pay money to be able to do that. It was amazing enough to blow away a guy who'd practiced sorcery his whole life. It was amazing enough to blow away David Blaine. Second is the effects were clearly discernible, okay? It was not a subtle thing. Amazing things happened when the Holy Spirit came upon the early church. Okay? And even the onlookers who saw what was going on were amazed as well. Okay, so it was not a subtle thing. So let me give you, these are the examples of the different events that occurred in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit came on people. It happened in Pentecost. We've already studied that. They spoke in tongues, praised the mighty deeds of God, and they were given awesome power to witness. In one day, 3,000 people came to, came to Christ. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. Today, in Samaria, I don't know what happened. Something happened that was amazing enough to blow away Simon. We're going to see later in Caesarea, uh, when the Holy Spirit came on these people, there was speaking in tongues, praising God in Ephesus, Same thing, speaking in tongues and prophesying. At Paul's conversion, here's a guy who hated the church rabidly. And when the Spirit came upon him, he was totally changed. He was given extraordinary boldness and empowering to witness. And Paul ended up blowing away the the apostles who were back in Jerusalem. And we also see in Acts chapter 5, That God gave the Spirit to everyone who was obedient to him. So there was this obedience that was a mark of it too. I think what we see is that Luke expects the receiving of the Spirit to be a true experience of the living God. Uh, Although there's no consistent pattern about how it happens... Uh, whether it's at conversion or later than conversion, the main consistency is that the Spirit manifested His presence when He authenticated new groups to come into the church of God. When He was authenticating that these people are really my people and they're really part of my church. Here's what I found. Our encounters with the Spirit vary from person to person. We don't all have the same experience. Our experiences may be emotional or they may be non-emotional. We may speak in tongues. Sometimes there's a physical manifestation of the Spirit. Other times there's not. The real evidence of having the Holy Spirit in your life is fruit. 
in your lives. That is the real evidence. Is there the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Can you see fruit of the Spirit in your life? You might not see the miraculous, but you should be able to see the power of the Spirit in your life accomplishing His work. And what is His work? His work is to fulfill the Great Commission. Okay? So does the Holy Spirit, do you see the Holy Spirit work in your everyday life? Now, I'm going to put this up, and I have to explain this. I thought this was really kind of cool. This circle represents my life, the big circle. Okay? And I, I, have to, I have to put it in the context of my life because I know my life. I don't know yours. Okay? This is my life. So you see that little red circle down at the bottom? That little red circle represents the times in my life when I've seen the Holy Spirit move powerfully in my life. When I've seen miracles, I've seen people healed. I've seen people on the mission field come to Christ. These are, these are times when I can't explain it any other way. These are times when the Holy Spirit moved miraculously. Actually, that circle should be smaller, <laughs> unfortunately. But I can remember times when he did that. The rest of the blue circle is the rest of my life. It's kind of the mundane part of my life. It's, you know, going to work every day, except tomorrow. It's, it's you know, raising a family and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, going to work and putting new tires on the car, and all that kind of thing. Now, as many of you guys know, I, I'm a doctor. I'm a family doctor. And, you know, contrary to what you see on TV, being a doctor is not always the most exciting thing in the world. It's pretty, most of the time, it's pretty mundane. Gray's anatomy will make you feel differently, but it's not like that. So, you know, I, I've seen miraculous healing... And I've even, in the past, I can remember praying for people and, and, you know, I found out that they were healed. But that's such a tiny part of my life. The challenge for me is to believe that the Holy Spirit is working in me, not just in that little red circle, but the Holy Spirit's working in my life in the whole blue circle too. In my everyday mundane life, the challenge for me is to see, is the Holy Spirit working in me through the rest of my life as well? And that, I, I believe, takes faith. But I believe He is. You know, you can make this circle, and that's kind of like Philip's life too, right? We just read about Philip. Guess what? We're done with Philip. We just finished Acts chapter 8. We're done with Philip. He did these fantastic things, you know? He went to Samaria, and all these people got saved, and they got baptized, and they got filled with the Holy Spirit. And then God says, right after that, God says, I want you to hit this road, this desert road, and, and, and you're going to meet this guy. And this guy just happened to have his Bible open to Isaiah, the, the verses that were uh, prophesying about the Christ. And Philip got to lead him to the Lord. Wow, what a great chapter. What a great chapter in his life. But you know, if you read on, the rest of Philip's life isn't that sexy. <laughs> it's just that one chapter that's really kind of cool. We do run into 
to Philip later, like Tom said last week, later in the scriptures, there's one verse about him that said he had moved to Caesarea and that he had four daughters who prophesied. So, so he had done all this cool stuff, but now he was going back to normal life. He got married. He had some kids, but he was still faithful, right? He was still faithful because he raised his daughters in the Lord, right? And he's called Philip the Evangelist, so he's still doing his work. It's just we don't hear about it so much. My challenge for you guys, maybe, maybe you can uh, talk about this in cell group this week, is to draw a circle and kind of go, do I believe that the Holy Spirit uses me in, in the mundane parts of life? You know? And, and if, if you don't see that, maybe you can talk to the other people in your group about it because maybe they see it in you. So my question for you guys today is did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And I just have four challenges for you as I close. Did I receive the Holy Spirit when I believe? Yes. I've seen the work of obedience at work in my life in subduing sin and causing me to do acts of love. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I've seen the spirit of praise in my life, filling my heart and my mouth to worship Jesus. Yes, I've seen the spirit of courage in my life, overcoming fear and giving me boldness to risk things for Christ. And yes, maybe I've seen God's supernatural manifestations in my life in the form of tongues, healing, or prophecy. God wants to use you. He wants to use you in your everyday life. He's given you his Holy Spirit. Now, my challenge is that what if you're sitting there and you're like, you can't answer yes to these questions. I can't answer yes to that question. So my question is, maybe you haven't believed yet. Maybe as we close this service today, you need, you need to get right with God because you haven't seen these things happen in your life. Maybe you haven't fully put your trust in him yet. And if that's the case, come on up here. We'll talk to you. I'll talk to you. Brett will talk to you. Dan will talk to you. And we can figure this out. Or maybe there's some sort of delay or blockage in the manifestation of God's power in your life. Usually if there's a delay or blockage in the manifestation of God's power, it usually has to do with sin. It has to do with sin in your life. And maybe that's something you need to deal with. Again, if you want to talk about it, talk to us. Or maybe God's doing more through you than you think. Maybe you've never been really taught to recognize how the Holy Spirit works in your life. Now, that's a good thing to talk about in cell group. How, how, has God, how is God manifesting himself in your life? So that would be a good challenge in cell group. Have maybe someone in cell group can help you recognize uh, things that he's doing in your life. Can you pray with me?
Lord, this is just a really controversial part of Scripture, but we want more than anything to be walking in your ways, uh, to be walking in the Spirit. We want to be used by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the Great Commission and to accomplish what you want to do in our lives. We want to be open to that. And uh, we pray that you would teach us. We pray that you would reveal yourself to us. We pray for the power of the Spirit in our lives, that we may be truly your church uh, and a pure bride ready for you to come back to take us home, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. We ask you to come even now in Jesus' name. Amen.